Well, good morning to everyone. It's great to see you here. If we seem a little thin today, it's because yesterday we had a really large service, uh, a consecration service, and, and our Anglican uh, understanding of the faith. We believe it's important to set apart spaces sacramentally for worship. And even though there's been two other congregations that have worshipped, actually three that have worshipped here, we wanted to, to have a, a, a moment to sort of pause and say, Lord, would you bless this place as we make it our own, as we make it our place to gather and worship you. And, and uh, just as Solomon prays that, that God would consecrate the temple when he becomes king and he builds the temple that David, his father, had, had envisioned, Solomon says, Lord, may your name always dwell here. May you always be lifted up and glorified. And so we did that. And so uh, a lot of people were there, and some of those people didn't come back today. So if you weren't there yesterday, thanks for being here today because it's, it's hard to preach to an empty room. And uh, I know because at the early service, I had two sheep, two sheep to preach to. So, but boy, they, they got a whole sermon, just the two of them. So, and they're two of my favorites and they're two of my faithful. So I, it was interesting, but, but it was good to be with them. So but it's great to be with you guys. And, and so around this consecration of the building and setting apart this space, uh, we've only been worshiping here since May. If you're visiting with us, you need to know that. So this is all brand new to us. Uh, this building was built in 78. We're trying to re- refresh it. But as we, as we are around that event of consecration and the big, uh, had our bishop here, etc., we're trying to really preach into the idea of what does it mean, our, what is our vision, what is God's vision for us as a congregation? It's not just to have a building, not just to have permanency. We're not just going to say, okay, we're in the building, you know, autopilot, you know, David and I can go off and do our thing and, you know, we'll just ride along cruise control. No, now is the time really to say, Lord, what is your vision? And, and I have been suggesting to you that I believe the vision God has given us is to be a redemptive experience of church for people outside of the church, for outsiders, whether they identify as Christians or not. Do you know somebody that, that likes Jesus, but is really skeptical of the church. Somebody's been burned, hurt by the church. Maybe they're reading the newspapers and they're hearing all kinds of scandals, nationally, locally, regionally, and it's causing them because of the fall of church leaders to believe that perhaps there's nothing redeemable about the church. Well, can in that state, can we speak and be a body of people who speak redemption to their experience of church? Can we show Jesus in such a way that we we build bridges between them and us and through relationships and through service we show them who Christ truly is. That is the call. That has always been the call of the church. But I think we have an opportunity in this place to be unique in how we give an example of a redemptive experience of church in the midst. So I want to look with you at this passage from Mark chapter nine this morning because I think it gets to the heart of what we're called and I won't bury the lead I will tell you the reason why we're called servants of Christ is because this is supposed to be our identity as followers of Christ yes Jesus says you are my friends no longer do I call you servants but but he never withdraws that 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 mark of true fellowship of Jesus to be one of servanthood and it's marked here in our gospel passage today Now, it's interesting, Jesus in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, again and again and again, Mark, the the gospel of Mark will 
identified Jesus' words, it's basically saying something similar to what you see in the first few verses there of chapter 9, where Jesus reminds the disciples that he is… Um, Jesus didn't have to have a, a lapel mic, so not a lapel mic, but a microphone, so he didn't have to worry with that, but I do. But anyway, that's my cross to bear. But, um, but Jesus says in verse 30, he, 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 he begins to speak to them about what's going to happen to him. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. Jesus says something very similar in chapter 8. He'll say something again very similar in chapter 10. And it's, it's, it, it's the basis by which he says everything else. You need to know that. Because what he says is going to be tough. But, but it, the context is his declaration to us that he is about to enter into suffering and death. But then he will be raised on the third day. In between chapter 8 and chapter 9, declarations of this, this prophetic word about Jesus' life, where he's headed, is the Mount of Transfiguration. And just to remind you, that's the, that's the place in the, in the Gospels where Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, he takes them to the top of this mountain, and he is revealed in all of his glory. He sort of pulls back the curtains, and they see Jesus for all he is. You know, there's a sense in which in his earthliness, it was disguised because they were, they were looking for a Messiah to come in glory, and Jesus comes in humility. And so they're, they're not sure, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, they see Jesus for exactly who he is. And, uh, you know, Moses is there, Elijah's there, they disappear. God the Father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And, and then the disciples are with Jesus alone. And, and they come down the mountain, and, and so you know that for them, they're thinking, man, it's about to happen here, you know? We've gotten the preview, you know? You see that movie in the movie theater that, you know, the previews, and you go, oh, I'm going to see that movie. That's going to be the best movie ever, you know? Well, the disciples have gotten the preview of the coming attraction, they think, and they are ready for the kingdom of God. They are ready for what we, 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 we talked about in the psalm, they're ready to see the enemies smitten. They're ready to see the enemies dealt with, the enemies of God's people destroyed. They're ready to see the fulfillment of what Andrew read for us in the Jeremiah 11 passage, this, this dealing with those who have been wrongfully treating us. And so they do what you and I would do. They start talking about what's going to happen when the kingdom comes. It's sort of like if you were on a political campaign, if you were working for a, 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 a politician and he was campaigning, if he was elected, there is an expectation that you will have a place in his government, that you'll get an appointment by that, that politician when he becomes governor or city mayor or whatever it is. There'll be some, there'll be some rewarding. That's the way it works. You work a campaign, and at the end of the campaign, if you're successful, you're, you're given a position. Is that right, Jake Farmer? It's exactly right, right? So that's what goes on. I have an inside track here about, about politics. My son works in politics. But so, you know, in that same vein, the disciples are thinking, there's going to be some, some cabinet positions here. And they start to decide who they think should be in what position. Don't, don't, don't hate on the disciples. We do the same thing, right? We've earned that position, you know? We, we need to be moving up into that second role. 
And, you know, I'm, I can just hear it. Peter and James and John are saying, well, we got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. So clearly Jesus has special things for us coming up. So you guys are actually fighting over positions, you know, four through 12, you know, because one through three, we've got wrapped up, you know, and, and you can only imagine what they're, what they're talking about. Well, I was, I gave Jesus a really good answer back there, Thomas says, you know, so I think I need a place here and, you know, and, you know, well, Matthew says this and, and I, I just can't imagine. And they're, they're having this argument in light of the fact that Jesus has just proclaimed that he is going to be killed by his enemies and then rise on the third day. They don't get that, but what they get is they get pecking order. They get the fact that somebody's got to be higher and somebody's got to be lower. And the way you get by in the world is you try to get as high as possible. Isn't that right? I, I entered into eighth grade and my, my, my decision was to, this was back when we had junior high, eighth and ninth grade, and my decision was to be at the popular table by the time I left ninth grade. That was my one goal in life. I am embarrassed and ashamed to say it, but that's where I was goal, that was my goal oriented. I did make it, by the way. <laughs> Found out how empty it was to be at the popular table, so. But it's the way we are, and it's the way the disciples were. And so Jesus, he gets to the house and he, he, he says, what were you talking about on the way? He busts them completely, and they are speechless. They don't have anything to say because they realize that, you know, the gig's up. You know, Jesus knows. So they, they fumble around. Who knows what, you know, you know, somebody said, you know, something to sort of throw him off or whatever. Who knows? But anyway, they, they are unable to move him. And Jesus knows exactly what they've been doing. They've been pecking order. They've been... They've been looking, talking about hierarchy and who's the greatest. They've, they've totally missed that, that Jesus has proclaimed, and he will again and again, that, that, that I, as your master, am going the way of suffering. I'm going to be emptied of myself. I'm going to uh, suffer. I'm going to give my life. Now, I will be raised, but first will come suffering. But the disciples don't get that. They don't, they don't understand that kingdom value of something having to die before something can be born again. They don't understand yet the, the symbolism of the sacrament of, of baptism, that we, we die to our old person and we're raised to newness of life. I think the Apostle Paul puts it so succinctly when he says, Jesus, who being in very form God, did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but he emptied himself of everything, taking on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death. And that death on a cross. So that now God has raised him to the highest place. Now I'm kind of paraphrasing. But that, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But first comes the humility, the emptying, the death the sacrifice. Jesus is explaining to us again what Tim Keller says is the upside-down kingdom. It's the kingdom that makes no sense in terms of the world's knowledge and wisdom because it, it seems to be about the very things that the world despises. You know that Greek culture did not think being humble was a 
was something, an attribute to be aspired to. They, they had no place for humility in Greek culture. And yet, the early Christians exemplified the spirit of humility, which is exactly what James is talking about in James 3 that Andrew read as well a few minutes ago. The disciples look much like the congregation that James has been writing to. You know that whole part there where it gets into chapter 4 and he begins to talk about why are you jealous of one another? Why do you strive and fight with one another? It's about your jealousy. It's about your envy. It's about striving to be above one another. I, I like my friend Mark Eldridge. Is, uh, he's, he's, he told me this in seminary and it stuck with me. He said, he said, crabs in a bucket. I said, crabs in a bucket? He goes, yeah. He said, seminarians can be just like crabs in a bucket. He said, have you ever watched crabs in a bucket? He, he was, lives on the coast and so you put crabs in a bucket and one crab finds its way to get one of its, you know, claws up over the crest of the bucket, hangs on, and just as it's about to pull itself up, the other crabs grab onto it and they pull it down in an attempt to climb over it. If crabs could just work together, they could all get out of the bucket, but they don't. They're completely self-serving. And so they just keep, whoever gets up, they just keep pulling him down and crawl on top of him and try to go to the top. And so you get near the top and you're back down the bottom. And that's the way of the world, isn't it? You know, well as I do, that's the way of the world. Jesus sits the disciples down and he says two things, two salient points that I think we need to really be aware of. First of all, Jesus says, greatness in the kingdom of God, this upside down kingdom, greatness in the kingdom of God will look like serving, not being served. Greatness in the kingdom will look like serving, not being served. You want to be great in the kingdom? You're going to be like Jesus, taking a towel in a basin, as he did at the Last Supper, and kneeling down to wash the, the feet of the disciples. Remember, they still didn't get it there, right? The disciples are like sitting around going, who's going to wash feet? Well, I'm above you. I'm not going to get down. You need to be getting down. They don't get it. So what does Jesus do? He, he takes the towel in the basin and he washes their feet. Greatness looks like serving, not being served. And then secondly, Jesus says, he takes the little child, not to mean that it's only children, but a child in that culture was the lowest position. And he says, if anyone serves, receives one of these little ones, he is receiving me. And not only is he receiving me, but he's receiving the one who sent me. And so saying, Jesus is saying that every time we do any act of service, we are entering into the presence of God. You want to get close to the Lord. You want to know God? Pick up the towel and basin. Serve him. Know him in the act of serving. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, we, we think, well, go away on the mountaintop, get, you know, pray and read and study and go to seminary and get all this learning and memorize the Bible and stuff. But Jesus says, anyone who's received a, this little one in my name has received me. And if you've received me, you've received the one who sent me. If we want to come into God's presence, we do so through the act of serving. Now, I get it. It's more fun to be served than to serve. That's why Americans love to eat out, right? I mean, we love to eat out. We love everything about it. 
somebody prepares the menu, somebody comes to our table, they, they put all the, the accoutrements out, anything you need. Uh, sir, sir, ma'am, could you please bring me, you know, uh, you know, and the nicer the restaurant, the nicer the service. And uh, we were recently with Jody's uh, aunt and uncle, and it was her 70th birthday, so we did the works, and these waiters ran around like, like crazy, and it was just like, it was intoxicating. It was like, it, you couldn't even think a thought about something you needed before they had already refilled your glass or whatever they had done. It was, it was wonderful. It, it was, it, it's so great to be served. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, greatness doesn't look like being served. It's serving. It's, it's not being waited on. I mean, just, just do this. Invite, one week, invite people to come to your house to eat dinner that you've made. The following week, go back to that same group of people and ask them to come help you make a meal to carry to Grace Marketplace. Will there be a different crowd at your house? More than likely, yes. Because you can always get people to come and eat your food, but make a meal for somebody? Well, I don't have enough time. Oh, really? You got enough time to come eat food at my house, but you don't have time to go and serve someone else. That's not, it comes down, I think, to time. I think that, that in this, as we, if we really analyze ourselves, we, we value time so much, and rightfully so. It's precious, even more precious than our money. We want to use it wisely. And, but aren't we really, in fact, saying to people, when we don't have time for them, we say, our time is more important than them. Sorry, I've got to save that time for other things or just for what might come along, you know, if I get a better offer, you know. Sorry, I'm starting to meddle now this morning, sorry. But we are servants of Christ, so you kind of are getting what you expected, right? And all these things that I'm exemplifying here, I mean, it's, it's all getting at exactly what Jesus said. See, it's easy to go, well, I don't want to be the greatest. I don't have to be the first. It's not applying to me. I'm not trying to be the top of the heap, but you see, it's not about whether you want to be the first place or third or eighth. It's about the, the system that we live in, the, the, the way our, our lives are ordered that seeks to put ourselves above other people. There are time through our, our enjoyment of being served rather than serving. And all these things, there's this, this, this ordering that takes place. I think it's also exemplified in when we, when we, if we take a look at how we deal with other people's success. And, you know, and the, and the reason we talk about this is because, I mean, redemptive experience of church, church is as bad at this as anybody out in the world. You know, one church in town has a huge growth, grows, gets big and successful. You know, lots of people come, whatnot, builds new buildings. And go and listen to other church people. They'll, they'll say, well, yeah, I mean, Greenhouse is an awesome church. Greenhouse is the great big church here in Gainesville. But, and then they'll start to act like those crabs in a bucket, you know. <laughs> well, but. You know, and we're all guilty of it. You see, it's interesting when we, when we think about the success of others, what's our attitude? Are we looking for the flaw? 
or are we happy for them and what they've done? You see, that's, again, that, I think that is a way of looking at and measuring, are we growing into these kingdom values? Are we, are we focused more on serving and what that means in the kingdom, or are we looking to be served? Are we ranking ourselves, or are we looking to lift someone else up? Jesus, it's interesting because the, the verses go on. I stopped at 37. But if you go ahead and read 38 and 39, um, goes on a little bit. John, one of the disciples, says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Does that not sound like us sometimes, right? Because we've made ourselves important. John had put himself as more important. And this, this other person's not, you know, forget they're casting out demons, but they're not, they're not under us. So it's unauthorized. Jesus says, do not stop him. For no one who does the mighty work in my name will, will soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. But what does the world say? The one who's not for me is against me. That's what the world says. Jesus says, he who's not against me is for me. No matter how mighty the work. Do you find yourself excited when people have victory and success? Or do you find yourself looking for the flaw? Looking for the but? Well, but they, you know, uh, you shouldn't, you know, you should talk to so-and-so. Back we go to the world system. Jesus is calling us, if we're going to be a redemptive experience of church, the, the world has had its, its full up on church people who exemplify the world's vision of greatness. But what they're looking for is a glimpse of something else, something different. Time is short. Our lives are precious. The older we get, the more we realize how fast they go. You quit. I've already told people I stop thinking about what I'm going to accomplish this week. I start thinking about what am I going to get done this month. And, you know, and then you, then you start going, okay, what can I get done this year? Because time just seems like it just goes faster and faster and faster. But if that's true, and if, if, if time is our most precious possession, then shouldn't we be investing it in people? Shouldn't we be learning the kingdom value of serving and investing in people? Isn't that what the shrewd steward did in the parable Jesus told? Remember the guy that he's going to get fired, so he runs around to all the credit, the people that, that his master has credit with, and he, he reduces their bills? so that when he's fired, they'll have favor on him. Jesus isn't commending his business savvy, his practices. He's, he's commending him because he's put relationships, people above things. And so should we. Greatness looks like serving, and every time we do an act of service, we enter into the presence of the Lord 
Jesus says in verse 41, continuing down from where we've been, our verses we've been saying, Jesus says, if you give, so he talks about, he says, don't be worried about the person who's a great thing, but whom you can't find where he fits in the pecking order. Rejoice. If he's not against me, he's for me. And then he goes, and even if you do as small an act as giving a cup of water to someone in my name, you will not lose your reward. Now, the first point's hard to hear. Greatness looks like serving. But that second point, don't miss that. Every act of serving is entering into the presence of God. Jesus says if you give even a cup of water, the most small, unseen, maybe even unappreciated act of service will not be missed by our Father in heaven. We, we, we learn the Lord, we, we enter his presence through the act of service. Now, I know what it's like to serve people, serve someone, and they don't appreciate it. You, you give to them and, or help them or do something for them, and they don't respond. They keep making the same mistakes, you know. They keep messing their lives up over and over again, and you're like, what am I pouring all this energy into? And they don't seem to appreciate it. They don't seem to change, and nobody else notices it. These are, these are all thoughts that I have, and I know you have them as well. At times, we, we can't help. If we, if we try to serve, this is what happens. But, but be mindful of this. What Jesus is saying is that you can't see the effect often, but the Lord sees it. You will not lose your reward. None of our effort is wasted. In fact, it's doing something in us that is far greater than we can imagine. You see, we can't learn to be like Christ until we begin to imitate him through serving other people. I think it's any wonder that the, some of the greatest uh, giants of the faith are people who literally poured their lives out. I mean... How many of those homeless children, orphans in Calcutta, could fully appreciate and respond to Mother Teresa in a way that was self-fulfilling for her life's work? No, it wasn't about the response of the one she was serving. It was about her encounter with the living God. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's there are people in this room who know this joy. There are, there are people in this room who, far better than me at understanding that, you know, it's, it's really not about two different ways to live selflessly or selfishly that are both equally good. It's, it's about one way that leads to death and one way that leads to life. And there are people who know the joy. They know that it is truly better to pour your life out for people sacrificially. And they know the joy of serving people, whether or not they appreciate it. They understand it. Jim Elliott, the missionary from the 70s that, that died in, in Central America trying to share the gospel, Jim Elliott put it this way. He said, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching us this morning that, that living, that understanding life that really what brings life to us 
is learning to die to those things that we hold on to, that we think are going to bring us life. I was with a, a, a young, younger person, and um, there are more and more of those these days. And this younger person, you'll get that in a second, this younger person was going on and on because somebody that had authority over them was keeping them from advancing towards their goal. And they were going on and on and on about it. And, you know, it just got to this point where I, I realized that, that it was all about their anger towards this person that they saw blocking them. And, and I finally just felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, and I said to them, I said, you know, you have to quit worrying about who those enemies are that you think are keeping you from where you're supposed to be. You know, you, you, need to, you need to focus on the fact that God, who loves you and calls you, that if he has a purpose, a plan, a place that he's going to put you, there is no human being that can stop him from accomplishing that. You see, that's what the psalmist is saying. That's what Jeremiah is saying. It's like, yes, there are people who want to do us harm, but rather than focusing on that and trying to get ahead or put ourselves higher or somehow be that crab that gets his, his hook over the top and somehow makes it out of the bucket, instead we die to that resentment, that pain, that, that striving, and we say, Lord, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to serve in your name, whether they notice it or whether they don't. I want to learn this kingdom value. Greatness in the kingdom looks like serving, not being served. Every act of service brings us into the presence of God. You see, as we serve, we understand more fully Christ's service to us. It all comes back to the gospel, which is what I said in the beginning. Jesus reminding them that he's about to enter into pain, suffering, and death, and then the resurrection. But it has to be experienced. So can I challenge you to say, this week, one hour... What if we were to take one hour and say, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to serve God by serving people one more hour this week. I'm going to take one hour of my week and I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to go to the church office and I'm going to say, what can I do? I'm going to go to a, a, a pastor or a ministry or a, a ministry leader in the church or outside the church or a community uh, uh, opportunity to serve. I'm going to find some way and I'm going to say, I'm going to give this hour away, whether it's picking up trash or making phone calls or delivering food to the food bank, whatever it is, I'm going to take one more hour this week and I'm going to give it to the Lord to serve. If you do that, the Lord will meet you in that and you will know him more fully. I truly believe that. And you will know more fully that it is more blessed to give than to receive. But it has to be experienced. And it may look like Futility at times, but Jesus promises that even a cup of water will not raise its reward. Greatness in the kingdom, serving that we might come into his presence. 
This is how we give people outside the church a redemptive experience. We model it to the Lord, from the Lord to them and watch what he does with it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.